One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that generates biography using music and the songs that have touched our guests' lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Glenn Miller. To say Glenn's a veteran journalist would be an understatement. He began his career in newspapering in 1972 in St. Petersburg. He wound up in Fort Myers and worked for the Fort Myers News Press for 25 years before accepting a buyout in 2012 and has been freelancing ever since. Glenn is president of the Southwest Florida Historical Society, which is a really cool place if you've never been there. It's on the campus of the Alliance for the Arts in Fort Myers. He says he's more than 70,000 words into his second novel, Grab More and More. It's a sequel to his first, Grab More, which was published in 2016. He says they are comic crime capers. His blog is glennmillerwrites.wordpress.com. But Glenn says what means more to him now than all his newspaper and magazine stories and his blog is the opportunity given him by Florida Gulf Coast University for the past five semesters to be a part-time instructor in its journalism program. He's a preceptor for a class called News Literacy. His bio ends with, quote, after nearly 50 years in the business, I should be news literate. I've crossed paths with Glenn over the years and have certainly read thousands of his words over those years, but now we get to talk song stories. Hey there, Glenn. How you doing? I'm okay, Mike. And how are you? I'm doing fine, uh, relatively speaking. It seems quiet here on campus. My first time here in three months, and it's a ghost town almost. Yeah, so this is the first time you've been back since everything changed. Indeed. March 13th. I remember it well. Huh. And so, Friday the 13th. Yeah, no, it was Friday the 13th. Yes. Exactly. And, um, you know, I've kind of gotten used to it because I've been coming in about once or twice a week. But I had this moment back at the beginning of May where I was walking across campus and I cut through the boardwalk there and then i'm like it's like wednesday in may and there's no one on this campus and that's one of the times it really hit me how much things have changed yeah my little part-time job here i love the energy of the campus the young people their idealism their uh inquisitive nature Mm -hmm. and it's nice to be around it is yes uh so when was the last time you hit a baseball i actually hit a baseball back in february i did a story for uh Florida Weekly about vintage baseball. Do you know what that is? Um, I can envision what it might be. So they, this group, <laughs> that's a local team, the Fort Myers Vagabonds, they play by 1860s rules. Ah, so that's I what I was envisioning. Yeah. yeah, so it was very cool. So I went and interviewed very nice people, and they let me hit a few. I mean, they weren't whizzing it in there like uh, uh, Nolan Ryan in his prime. They're just lobbing the ball up. So it was fun to... That knock a few around the ball. Feel park. feel pretty good. Yeah. What like, are what are some of the big differences between current modern baseball and eighteen sixties baseball? Just uh, like a, n- n- ones that stand out. Smaller gloves, I bet. No gloves. No gloves. Oh. <laughs> they had no gloves. Well, the ball. So they are smaller. Yeah. The ball was softer too. <laughs> okay. And they used usually just one ball during a game. So even through most of the nineteenth century. When they played baseball, even in the major leagues, they'd use one or two balls, and they by the end of the game, they'd beat up and soft and mushy, and it was really hard to hit them far or very hard. How different were the bats, or were those pretty much the no, same? No, I think the bats were a little different. I think more uh, thicker handles, and obviously no aluminum bats back then. They sure. don't use aluminum in pro ball here or anywhere, as far as I know. But yeah, the bats were... More like a bottle bat, if you don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay, enough about baseball for now. I'm sure we'll be back. We'll back there. Um, uh, uh, where, where, where did you grow up, and what was the musical background of your childhood when you were growing up? Well, my name is a clue. 
Uh, I was named after the legendary band leader, Glenn Miller. I've heard of him. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Not many people nowadays have. I looked up some basic facts on the famous Glenn Miller, not me. Right. So you, I'm going to say my name is the biggest musical name you've had on this podcast. We, we will give you that. Okay. Not me, of course, but Glenn Miller, not me. He had 16 number one records. Okay. 69 top 10 hits. Does the, this relate to where you grew up? No, I'll get to that. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Real quick. Uh, according to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia is never wrong, Elvis had 38 top 10s and the Beatles had 33, so my namesake had more. But uh, yeah, originally from New Jersey. Uh, my folks moved from New Jersey to Florida when I was in second grade. That was in 1902. Okay. <laughs> no, seriously, it was 1961. So I, I consider St. Pete my home and went to grade school, what was called junior high back then in high school up in St. Pete, and started my career in St. Pete at a paper that doesn't exist anymore. You know, I was going to ask you what St. Pete was like in 72, which is when you started at the paper there. Right. But what was St. Pete like in 61? I mean, what was St. Pete like back then? Because it's become a thing you know, now. Yeah, it's, it's a different sort of, thing. Sort of, yeah, it's like, like a, almost a hipster community now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was the called Wrinkle City, the home of the nearly dead and newly wed. Uh, they had green benches downtown for the old folks at that time, now my age. Uh, the age I am now. Uh, Johnny Carson used to make fun of St. Pete in the 60s on his show. Okay. I w- wish I could remember some of the jokes, but it was became a national laughing stock as a place for old people. But I liked it. We lived way the north end of town, and a lot of it was still undeveloped back then. Now it's all built out. So as a little kid, you go, you can go out in the woods in the neighborhood with your pals and build a fort to pretend you're Daniel Boone or whoever. So what kind of music were you listening to as a teenager? Uh Rock was my go-to thing, much to my my parents' dismay. Uh, Were they like Lawrence Welk and Glenn Miller people? You're half right. Uh, <laughs> not so much Lawrence Welk, but I remember songs like "Who Did It?" Uh, driving to a high school baseball game. I was on the baseball team in high school. Not any damn good. Sorry for the bad word. Good enough for uh, the team, I guess. Well, yeah, I made the team. Uh, what's the name of the House of the Rising Sun? Mm-hmm. That always remember that Steppenwolf's uh, "Born to Be Wild." Who did House of the Rising Sun? The animals? The, the animals, animals yes. So, yeah. yes. I didn't. Uh, just a few years ago, I saw a video of them singing that. It was right. like black and white, and it just blew my mind because the song, I'd always heard it, and I did not envision it coming out of people looking like that. Right. <laughs> and, and another one that really sticks out is Grace Slick, uh, uh, White Rabbit. Uh-huh, yeah. And I thought I, that was one of the songs I was really thinking about for, for this podcast because I think it may be the most powerful vocal in rock history. Not that I'm an expert in rock history, but she just had an amazing voice. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Oh, I am. And there's it, actually an, an isolated vocal track. Have you ever heard that? I don't think so. And no. So they've, they've just taken out everything but her voice. And so you mm. get to hear just it in its pure form. And wow. it's, it's imagine, you, you know what I'm imagining, what yeah, you're imagining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you're, you're just gobsmacked at uh, what she could do. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, were you a hippie? Not even close. Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was kind of a, of a nerd. Uh, very clean cut, never did drugs, never even had a beer till I was 21. So now I was, uh, my hair right now is probably about as long as I got it back then. No, not even close to being a hippie. Um, uh, can you think of t- music that moved you when you were young that, rem- that remained with you somehow? Uh, Steppenwolf, no, that- Born to be Wild, which is ironic because I'm born to be mild. Right. <laughs> So, I uh, know, but I love the song, even though uh, I'm not. Mark the time on that one. Okay. <laughs> Continue. I'm oh, sorry. Okay, that uh, was just a great line. Uh, and I remember, like, in grade school, 
the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mm. The Civil War era strong. I wasn't actually around the Civil War, but for some reason, as a kind of a history nerd, even in grade school, I really liked the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Hmm. Is that Julia Ward Howe? I don't even know. Was uh, was sports always your thing? You oh, said you yeah. played baseball, but I mean, were you also like following baseball oh, stats yeah. and all that? I can oh, imagine yeah. you being one of those guys. It's like you know who played third base for the '54 Dodgers. I don't know who played third B- base. Billy for the Cox. <laughs> I'm serious. If you don't believe me, get one of the great baseball books of all time is Roger Kahn's The Boys of Summer. And in the book, he Roger Kahn in the 50s was a young newspaper man. He covered that team. And The Boys of Summer, which published in 72, he goes back and catches up with the old Dodgers, including Billy Cox, who was a great defensive third baseman. He played third base and shortstop um, for the Pirates. Wait, you think Dodgers you're fact-checking? You think he's making this okay. up? No, you think I he's know just he's leaving not. A, a tale of Billy Cox? <laughs> That's crazy. No. no did, did I, was I right? You definitely were. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Um, uh, did you go into journalism so you can be around sports, or did you go into journalism for journalism's sake? That's a great question. Uh, maybe a little bit of both. More for, I like to think, journalism's sake. I mean, even in grade school up in St. Pete, at a school that doesn't exist anymore called Rio Vista, I was like the class reporter in third or fourth grade. And even in grade school, I was reading two newspapers a day, the St. Pete Times, and which is now Tampa Bay Times, and the afternoon, this evening independent, which doesn't exist anymore. So I can remember like third or fourth grade reading the editorial page of the paper and there's the editorial about prejudice and I didn't yet know the word prejudice so I was trying to sound it out and read it prejudice what what is this word so yeah so I think other kids kind of made fun of me a little bit but I was always in the morning read the times in the afternoon read the evening independent of course I read the sports and the box scores back when they were still publishing them I guess oh absolutely yeah, the box scores the stats in the Sunday paper no internet back then so in the Sunday sports section of every paper in the country they run the whole list of everybody in the National League everybody in the American League I'd look at their batting averages I had I sell my baseball cards thousands of baseball cards hmm. and uh Jesse Milner, a professor here at FGCU, English professor, he's a Cubs fan. So I went to a party a couple years ago. I knew he was a Cubs fan. So I rifled through my old cards, found a couple old Cubs cards and gave them to him. Hmm. He, he thought that was very cool. I have these cards at home that are so rare I can't even find them on the internet. I don't know if that makes them super valuable or well, not. Well, if you have a Honus Wagner 1909 <laughs> T card... Uh, hold on to that, because that goes for like $2 million. Well, no, what I have is I have these th- I have three or four cards of the 85 Royals that were printed by the Junior League or something here okay. in Fort Myers. They were locally printed, but okay. it's like it's like uh, George Brett and Brett, Brett Saberhagen right. and um, uh, what's his White, uh, outfielder? Uh, well, there's Willie Wilson was an outfielder. Willie Wilson, I have Frank him, White and Frank sec- White. I have oh. those four, I think. Okay, yeah, I, I had the pleasure to meet Frank a few times in my sports writing days. One of the nicest guys I ever met in baseball and a tremendous second baseman. So, uh, Glenn Miller. We're going back to Glenn Miller. Indeed. Um, were you named for Glenn Miller? Yes. Yeah, so like I, consciously, like your parents said, we're going to name our kid Glenn Miller. Well, I wasn't around for the discussion, but <laughs> uh, yeah, because I was okay, I'll give, you know, it's old. I was born only eight years after he disappeared. So, my parents grew up listening to that music. Uh, my dad died in 99. My mom's now 89. And to her, anything musically after maybe Roseberry Clooney is new stuff. She really she saw Frank Sinatra at the Paramount Theater in New York City when she was a teenager. Wow. She loved Sinatra music. So, so do I. And uh, Sinatra was one of the uh, artists I considered for this with about 500 others. It's hard to narrow it down to three. I'm sure everybody's told you that. 
And Sinatra, speaking of baseball, did a great baseball song. There used to be a ballpark. Hmm. It's a hauntingly beautiful song. Uh, it, it, it's one of many baseball songs done by artists from Warren Zevon, Bob Dylan. I think Ozzy Osbourne. It's amazing how many people have done baseball songs. Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. I, that went up. Yeah. I, 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 was, I was just looking up baseball songs a couple days ago, and I saw he was listed. I didn't see what the song was. Sorry. So when we were uh, uh, emailing back and forth, you're you like our second most bumped guest, by the way. We did another guy, uh, FGCU professor Chad Evers recently, and we bumped him since January on. Mm-hmm. So um, you had said you, you knew you were going to have to pick a Glenn Miller song. Absolutely. So why did you pick the one that you picked? Uh, I think it's the most beautiful of his songs. It's simply that. And I noticed, I watched the movie, The Glenn Miller Story, on TCM last night, and that was, I think, the first song they played in the movie as part of the soundtrack. It's just an extraordinarily beautiful arrangement. I don't have the musical knowledge to say why I think it is. I mean, he had numerous huge hits. Uh, some of the titles your great-grandparents might know, In the Mood, Pennsylvania 65,000, Chattanooga Choo Choo, A String of Pearls, I've Got a Gal in Kalamazoo. American Patrol, Little Brown Jug, Tuxedo Junction, all huge hits. I mean, he was as big as it got in the late 30s and up till his disappearance in 1944. And there's still Glenn Miller tribute bands touring the country. You ever seen one? No. Sorry to say. I feel like something would come through here. This seems like... Oh, no, uh, they have come through here. <laughs> yeah, I know you, they have. You just haven't taken the chance. All oh, right. oh, okay, so we're going to listen to it. This is, uh, as we... Have we said the name of it yet? Moonlight Serenade. Yeah, yeah. Not to be confused with uh, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Moonlight Serenade, composed by Glenn Miller, released in May of 1939. What's that make you feel? Uh, like I wish I was around the 1940s. Hmm. I've been part of that generation. The so-called, and maybe rightfully so, the greatest generation. Uh, to be part, I, mean, I don't want to be in the middle of World War II, but to be part of the excitement of listening to that music for the first time. Like any piece of music you hear for the first time or a great book you read for the first time or a movie you see for the first time, the first time you hear a song or read a book or watch a movie, that can never be replicated even though I've heard this song dozens or hundreds of times. It's still a beautiful song, but the first time you hear the great piece of work, whether it's Beethoven or Sinatra or the Beatles or Bob Dylan, there's something magical about it. Um, you know, I knew I was gonna. I knew I was gonna recognize it. I didn't listen to it before. Now I knew I was gonna recognize right. it. I did. I couldn't picture it or hear it in my head. But those first three or four notes, I was back in my grandparents' living room, and my grandpa was sitting there with his stand-up okay. ashtray, smoking his okay. pipe, and there was a radio on. Okay. You know what I mean? Like right. so th- that it, that's where it took me. So yeah, that's clearly song. what my grandpa was listening right. to. Yeah, I definitely know that song, and I don't know where from. Okay. It's, I mean, I it's. Think- Ubiquitous. Yeah, I think it was, it was the movie Big. I love the movie Big. Okay, but oh, yeah. yeah. I, there's a da- the scene where Tom Hanks dances, the grown-up Tom Hanks dances with his girlfriend, uh-huh. and th- they both realize he's actually a 13-year-old kid. So I, I'm almost sure that's the music, the song that was playing when they danced in the movie Big. Huh. Don't hold me to that. Now you I Google go, it. Though. Now I got to go back and watch that movie again. I, yeah. did, I watched it not too long ago. It really holds up. Yeah, it holds it up. It is very kind well. of awkward, though. You know, right. it is a thirteen-year-old yeah. boy. You know, right. with a 
woman. Yeah, but she has, <laughs> to, but he looks like he's thirty or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so it's not like yeah. It still holds up though. But if there's a touching scene where it's, after she realizes it, she kisses him on the forehead. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Um, uh, movie musicals. We're gonna stick with movies here for okay. a second. Are you into movie musicals or Broadway musicals? Oh, both of them. My parents were loved uh, movie musicals, so I remember going to their 28th Street Drive-in movie theater in St. Pete as a kid in the 60s, seeing musicals like Carousel or uh, one of my mom's all-time favorites, uh, The Music Man with Robert Preston. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I saw those. I loved the musical Chicago. And my mom loves it, too, even though it's starkly different from earlier musicals. Yes. Yeah. And and this, I was going to mention this later, but the... Musical South Pacific. Uh huh. Do you know the song "You've Got to Be Carefully Taught"? I don't. I can't hear it, but I know I'd know it. You, you know it, yeah. So anyhow, the uh, the musical hit Broadway forty seven, forty eight. Made it a movie about ten years later, and it's very timely for what's going on now. In the song, some of the lyrics include: "You can look them up. You've got to be carefully taught to hate people who don't look like you. You've got to be carefully taught by the time you're seven or eight to hate people who have a different." shade of skin or different shaped eyes so it's a very timely song even though it came out in the 40s about race hate and intolerance wow obviously we're we've been dealing with this forever oh absolutely 400 years here yeah um do you remember the first music you owned when you were a kid i knew you were going to ask that <laughs> and <laughs> and i still don't have an answer no no i still don't have an answer i don't remember the first you know i, I imagine everybody else remembers but yeah i think maybe some of them just lie okay well <laughs> that's an option i'll take under advisement um uh did you play any instruments when you were a kid no uh, the famous glenn miller was a phenomenal trombonist oh really okay yeah, i was yeah, wondering was if you knew a, what his instrument yeah, yeah, was yeah and over the years not so much more recently but as a kid growing up wherever i went first day of school on a school bus uh everybody's older they knew the music and they knew the name and people always make comments about it and to this day, I sometimes get people asking, where's the band? And I'll say, oh, they're in the bus. They'll be here any minute. Or sometimes people ask, did you bring your trumpet? But he played the trombone. Right. So, of course, I uh, chastise them and mock them. And no, I just say, no, you, he played the trombone, actually. How long did it take before people didn't connect that name to something? Because, you know, probably when you were a kid, practically everybody knew who he was. Oh, it would have been like saying, you know, like naming you Michael Jackson or something. Exactly. But at some point that, you know, new it's, people are born. And, right. and that generation has died away. Right. So, yeah, when I was a kid, I got it all the time. But, you know, I've been, I got the, my part-time teaching uh, gig here, which I love. And treasure, so I've been here five semesters teaching, a, helping to teach a course in journalism, and I've never had a student yet mention my name in music. And over five semesters, between the students I've had in my class, and I've spoken to other classes, so I've dealt two hundred, three hundred kids. You Not just, once. You just get up the first day and play that song and enter to it, and with no commentary, okay. you know, <laughs> they would, no, no explanation. They probably uh, drop the class and. <laughs> No, but there was a very, I thought, a very cool moment this past semester uh, for the class I'm involved in, news literacy. The students introduced themselves on a discussion board early. So I had a student this semester say he's an old soul. He loves the temptations. So, okay. So the next week when he came in, I had it all queued up on the computer. 
started walking in. I hit the temptation. The computer started playing My Girl, and the kid froze in his tracks. He loved it, and he thanked me like two or three times. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, I was going to ask and, you. And men left it, guy. Yeah. I was going to ask if you ever integrate music into your class, and I guess there's the answer. Do you? Well, you have yeah. you done it in other ways too? Well, I, I the song uh, from uh, South Pacific. You've got to be carefully taught. One of the things we do in news literacy every semester, the students take a little online exam called Project Implicit that examines your biases. Everybody has biases. And to introduce that, I play part of the song from the musical South Pacific, You've Got to Be Carefully Taught. Hmm. So to point out how things are taught, you're not born hating other people of other races or religions. Um, Do you listen to music while you're writing? Or researching? Uh, not really. I can only do one thing at a time. Right. And, you know. Seemed like you would not be that kind of person. Seems like you kind of try to keep things analog as much right. as possible right. and one track at a time. Right, right. Probably thoughtful things that we should think about. <laughs> well, I don't know about thoughtful, but yeah. One ta- I'm not a multitasker, I guess. I just News literacy. You're teaching that with these college students. Yeah. Um, they're the quote-unquote digital natives. Indeed. Are they in some ways more savvy in terms of that, or do they come in with just a blank slate and you're like, by the way, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's real? Like, where, where are we between those two poles? Uh, I think we get a whole range. Uh, I mean, I remember having a student uh, talking about where you got your news from. He said, I get it from Twitter. And I said, Where on Twitter? Twitter? What's the source of that? Is it from a Russian bot? Is That's like saying, C- I get it from the newsstand. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it was like, a, I, I, I maybe misinterpreting but it looked like to me a light bulb went on the kid said because he just looked at twitter and like it came magically from somewhere but somebody somewhere had to hit a button yeah a bot in moscow or a news producer here at wgcu or somebody somewhere my daughter's 15 and she's been raised by a guy that works for npr so she's pretty good in terms of news literacy but she's also at that age where she's wanting to engage with what's going on in the world And I had to have a really serious talk with her because she showed me something that she shared in an argument with somebody. And I said, well, do you know if that's true? And she said, well, and I said, no, I mean, seriously, this is like the most important thing right now. Mm -hmm. You can't share things unless you know it's true or you're just making it worse. And she really gets it now. And she's pushing back on people and she's talking to her friends. And I'm like, oh, that's the best I can do as a dad. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of the things we full credit to Lynn Milner. She's the head of the journalism program here. It's her course. I just kind of help out. But uh, that's something Lynn emphasizes is, do you want to share this on social media? We'll look at a news story and analyze it and say, would you put this story on Twitter or Facebook? Is it legit or is it fake news? And we teach them about Snopes and PolitiFact and verifying before you share. I, I, I just got an email a couple weeks ago from a student who took the class two years ago, and she said she's changed her major, and she said she still uses the tool she you learned in news literacy and points things out to friends and family that just because you saw it on the Internet, it's not true. There's a meme, an Abraham Lincoln meme. You've probably seen it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, we use that in news. I do use it in news literacy, put it up on the screen in the room. Uh, the picture of Lincoln and the words, just because it's on the Internet, it's not true or yeah. words that effect. Yeah, well, I think more and more people are finally starting to catch up to that, but hopefully more will do more fast and quickly, and I can say that better, but I didn't say it okay. very well. Um, best concert ever? Have you seen lots of concerts? Where do not concerts that many. Uh, Springsteen was astounding. I saw him once. 
Uh, so Buffett and uh, I sh- let out a shout in the concert. You want to hear why I shouted? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't on drugs. I never. So anyhow, so I, I know it's hard to believe. I actually had a date to see Buffett in St. Pete this way back when. And I was playing in a softball tournament in Sarasota. So we played all day in the rain, I don't know, six, seven games. So I was slogging through mud all day. And we're in the concert. And I got a cramp in my hamstring, which hurt like the Dickens. And I jumped up and shouted in pain. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe people thought I was having a bad reaction to some drug, but I just had a cramp from playing too many softball games in one day. <laughs> That's like Glenn Miller's story distilled. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted how, to be mild. How, how do you listen to music these days? Like With my ears. Okay. How, uh, <laughs> that's like saying that you get your news from Twitter, Glenn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, hi Tara. Tara's hi. here now. Um, <clears throat> no, like, what kind of devices are you a CD guy? Do you listen to me? Do you have what presets do you a have Vic, on the radio? A Victrola. Victrola with a big horn. You get it from the Edison home. <laughs> yes, uh, Thomas Edison himself gave it to me. Uh, no, uh, sad to say, YouTube or the radio, basically. You know. what, what presets do you have on your car radio besides WGCU? That's the only one. All my buttons are WGCU. <laughs> For no, real? No, I'm joking. No, but <laughs> it is one. It's. No, I got uh, 94.5, 95 point three, uh, 102.5, or 102.9, whatever it is. Bob, you know Bob. Have you found 93.3, the tagger, yet? No, I don't know 93. Oh, goodness. It comes out of Dun- it's low power. comes out of Dunbar High School. Okay. And it is the most diverse radio. I mean, and I don't mean that like ethnically or culturally. Right. I just mean like you turn it on one day and it's Frank Sinatra. You turn wow. it on the next day, it's it's rap from the 90s. Really? And everything in between. Wow. And you, but you can only pick it up from like, you know, the interstate to like the mall. So it's like, uh, I don't know, 500 watts or? Uh, yeah, something like that. Okay. But I live like a half mile uh, from it. So so how many watts is WGCU? On? We're like the full 50,000, uh, right? Yeah, whatever the, I thought it was 100,000. Okay. Whatever the most you can whatever, have. Yeah, okay. the, the maximum. Yeah. <laughs> the, the maximum. Okay. Um, okay. It. it is time for song number two. Okay. And song number two is definitely not one I've heard before. What uh, is it? It's Van Lingle Mungo. It's a baseball novelty song. I would imagine anybody listening here, nobody listening here, would probably know this song. You got to be a real seam head. You know what a seam head is? I presume it's a baseball fan. Yeah, you know, like uh, <laughs> Grateful Dead fans or Dead, dead heads. heads. You don't want to be a ball head. No. So they called it. A so seam and I want uh, <laughs> heavy metal fans or what metal heads? Yeah, mm-hmm. car guys, gearheads. Exactly. So anyhow, so I'm a seam head, which is a baseball fan and have been since before. Everybody in your room on the other side of the glass was born. So this is a novelty song written by a guy named Dave Frischberg in 1969. Uh, let's go ahead and play it. Well, first, before you play it, just make one note. All the lyrics are the names of old-time ballplayers. Okay. There, there's... Are you going to be able to know what position they played and what year they played in your head during the song? Well, no. But seriously, <laughs> I know of some of them. I actually met some of them So uh, in later years, not when they were playing in 1939. Uh, yeah, let's play the song. I think it's a fun song. And even if you don't know the names, it's such an unusual song. I think people get a kick out of it. And I, it came out in 1991. Is that so? No, 1969. 1969. I guess this ver- something I saw saw. Yeah, maybe another version of it. Okay. Dave Frischberg, by the way, is still alive. He's 87. All right. This is Van Lingle Mungo by Dave Frischberg. Mm-hmm. 
That was delightful. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> oh, Van Lingle Mungles. Who, who, who did he play for? Uh, he played for the Dodgers. He had a long career. 54 he, Dodgers? No, he no. was before then, I believe. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm going to throw this out there. I don't even know what it means, but I looked it up, reading about the song. It's considered a bossa nova ballad. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Okay, uh, but uh, Van Lingle Mungle was a real guy, and it's a great story. In 1969, Dave Frischberg went on the Dick Cavett show with Van Lingle Mungo, the actual human being. And so uh, Van Lingle Mungo asked Dave, uh, do I get any royalties from this? And Dave says, no, but if you write a song called Dave Frischberg, you will. <laughs> so, um, go ahead, Keep going, keep going. And so anyhow, no, uh, uh, some c- colorful characters there mentioned that song. Uh, Van Lingle Mungo was a colorful character. He played for a manager named Casey Stengel, who was a very colorful character himself. So uh, uh, Van Lingle, I think, had some anger management issues. So uh, Stengel once asked about him how they got along. He said, Mungo and I get along just fine. I won't stand for any nonsense, and then I duck. <laughs> so I guess Van Lingle Munga was known to throw a glove or a hat, or hopefully not a bat, if things didn't go his way. Oh, well, that's a great name. It's like it's like NPR has right. this reputation for having names. Like right. you hear from NPR News in Washington, I'm oh, yeah. Van Lingle Munga. Right. That's a perfect one, or a New York Times byline. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that Dave Frischberg sat down. The Baseball Encyclopedia was published in 1969, so I'm sure you know. And he just went through <laughs> looking for names and put them in some order and had the refrain with Van Lingle Mungo. And it's poetic and musical and a lot of fun. And, and it's funny that you said it's called a Bossa Nova, ba- Bossa Nova Ballad because what it also reminded me of is we had on this show a musical duo who was in town for a gig. Uh, Max Hat is the guy and Etta Glass is the woman. And they do this sort of bossa nova jazz thing that's just different than everything. We had them on Gulf Coast Live, too. Um, And they do this. The last song they played was this. um, It's a bossa nova jazzy thing where they took all the lyrics from noir movies. So it's kind of like this, where it's like there's no rhyme or reason. It's just phrasing that goes to the music in a way that's pleasing. So that's what it reminded me of, too. What a song. And and this is a little notes on some of the names mentioned mentioned a guy named Hugh Mulcahy his nickname was Losing Pitcher so he's known in history he pitched in the 30s early 40s he's known as Losing Pitcher Mulcahy because he lost all the time and uh, he mentioned Eddie Waitkiss I don't think you know about Eddie Waitkiss no do you see the movie The Natural yeah okay the Robert Redford character gets shot Mm -hmm. in real life Eddie Waitkiss was the inspiration for Bernard Malamud to write the novel because Eddie Waitkiss got shot by a unhinged woman uh this doesn't happen to me because i'm not a big league ball player never was but eddie checks into a hotel in chicago with his team i guess he's with the phillies and he gets invited to a room by a woman he doesn't know i guess if you're a big league ball player that happens so he goes to the room and there's a woman named ruth ann steinhagen waiting for him he's never seen before she invites him in she says i got a surprise for you pulls out a 22 and shoots him in the stomach and this is inspired Malamud to write the novel that became the movie The Natural. So Ruth Ann uh, was a celebrity stalker. Poor Eddie didn't know who she was. And they caught her. She didn't even go on trial. She was institutionalized. She had some serious issues. But yeah, so Eddie Wakeus has mentioned he's the inspiration for uh, The Natural. Uh, if you had to guess, how many times have you sang Take Me Out to the Ballpark? 
As a public service, I don't sing. You don't want to hear me. How many times uh, have many you times heard I, it? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, thousands. Yeah, thousands uh, and thousands. Uh, you know, well, take me out to the ball games. That goes back to like 1908, and Jack right. Norworth right. wrote it. Norwood. Maybe you can Google that. Uh, and he, I don't think he'd ever been to a baseball game, but he wrote the song. That's the story goes. Can you talk about the relationship between what is it, the little elephant? Dun, 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 the char- not the charge song. No, hmm. maybe it's not an actual thing. There's maybe. a there's a song that I've heard at ball games. Okay, I think it's called the Little Elephant. Okay. Yeah, I always just hear that. Henry Mancini did the baby elephant. Baby elephant walk. I can hear that something the organist from the ballpark yeah. play, like a little interstitial. Yeah. It does kind of, it does kind of sound like Hans Sanford and Yeah. Uh, Henry Mancini. Okay. Right. Yeah. He did Pink Panther theme, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Among exactly. other things, he did. Yeah. Uh, the I've heard of ballpark organist who played the song Three Blind Mice mm-hmm. after an umpire mm-hmm. made a bad call, right. and the organist <laughs> getting kicked out of the stadium. So, are there any other songs? Really. That are, that are like super associated with, with base, baseball. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, funny you should mention that. Uh, there's a ton <laughs> of baseball songs. Uh, I jotted down a few titles. Uh, Talking baseball. I guess the Willie Mickey, the Duke song. There's a Jolton Joe DiMaggio, Springsteen's Glory Days. Uh, Say Hey was about Willie Mays, whose nickname was Say Hey Kid. Centerfield by John Fogarty from the 80s, which I really like. Tessie was. Uh, Done by Dropkick Murphys in more recent yeah. years. But, yeah, I, I love the song. It goes oh, back to the early yeah. 1900s. It was like the Boston Red Sox theme song in 1903 or something. But the Dropkick Murphys brought it back. Uh, Warren Zevon did a thing about a pitcher, a song thing, a song about a pitcher named Bill Lee. Uh, Sam and Dave did a song, Knock It Out of the Park. Count Basie, did you see Jackie Robinson? Sinatra's There Used to Be a Ballpark. And I just discovered, I really like this, uh, Bob Dylan did a song about Catfish Hunter. Hmm. I, I just heard it yesterday. I, I don't think I'd ever heard it before. I really liked it. If you just want. from digging around? So you yeah. So have, I, I, I might, right on the space. off chance, I could say something halfway intelligent while I'm here. So I mean, if you've got time, well, we're running out of time. What, no, uh, what's it called? Uh, Bob Dylan, Catfish, about Catfish Hunter, pitcher at the time with the Yankees. We got time. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I slipped through a backdoor yeah. uh, wormhole in the internet and found it. Yeah, we'll use oh, this, well. Maybe we'll use this as a parting tune for this okay. episode. Uh, yeah, no, that's weird. Okay. Anyway. Um, uh, okay. Um, grab more what? Uh, that's, See what I did there? Yeah, very good. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, no, that was my first novel. <laughs> Sold dozens of copies. Uh, that was a, what I called comic crime caper. Actually, I was interviewed here after it was published. It's... Well, Based on somebody working at uh, as a sports writer at a f- paper in Fort Myers and his travails dealing with corporate nonsense and mendacity. So I'm 70,000 plus words into a sequel called Grab More and More, which moves the story forward. Uh, he and his friends, the protagonists, I named him F. Scott Bond, a tribute to F. Scott Fitzgerald and James Bond, which I'm neither, obviously. Uh, so he's also the... Uh, Moved on from sports riding. He's the head of a shuffleboard league, which is doing quite well. And uh, t- the two former executives of this fictional media empire are trying to get the company back. One was uh, imprisoned at a place called Camp Cupcake, 
which is actually a federal prison in West Virginia named Alderson. Okay. Uh, Martha Stewart was sent there for okay. a few months. Oh, and, understood. And right, that, right. So that was named Camp Cupcake. So I have the female villain uh, being sent away to Camp Cupcake because she stole money from the company, and but she gets out. And the, the male villain is the former CFO of the company who's a racist lout, and he's kicked out of the company. But they're angling to get the company back, so uh, it's all going to come to a head. And there's a lady up there who carries an umbrella around. Now, giving it away, not, nobody read it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if you remember the news stories about the uh, Soviet spies being poisoned by yeah, polonium-19 with an umbrella. An umbrella, so, yeah. yeah. So I got this 80-year-old lady who's a very nice courtly lady, but she hates these two people. So she knocks over some butterscotch milkshake out of them. They start screaming, and she has this top secret umbrella she got during her espionage career and she delicately stabs him and things go downhill very fast very painfully for our villains why'd you choose butterscotch i have no earthly idea (laughs) (laughs) no uh, no i I like butterscotch uh i guess but uh no uh the 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 former ceo of the company gets a little complicated he loves butterscotch milkshakes to the point of obsession and when the cop comes in to start investigating what happened to him at the shuffleboard club in st pete he hears about butterscotch milkshakes he goes in a reverie people just love butterscotch milkshakes uh, so the protagonist's last name is Grabmore. then no that's the name of the company that's the name of the company the, and yeah. so it's it's like grab more profits Money, and cut the staff as well, much as possible while doing so exactly so uh, <laughs> the name of the company originally was the the CEO was O'Reilly. His great-grandfather founds, founds, the, co- founds the company in the early 1900s, but he's being investigated in the 40s in the backstory by the House Un-American Activities Committee because he has some liberal tendencies, even though he's a tycoon, and he gets upset because they're accusing him of being uh, a red, even though he's a stalwart capitalist. So he decides on the spur of the moment in 1947 to change the name to grab more because he's going to keep building the company, buying more newspapers, including the one in Fort Myers, and t- eventually TV stations. I like that there was a delicate stabbing. Yes, it she's was described for, as delicate. Yeah, she just <laughs> that gently touched with the tip of the umbrella, which is a top secret umbrella by a she got when she worked for an unnamed murky well, espionage. Well, I want to read it. Well, I'm almost done I writing think he's it. he's already spoiled it. <laughs> okay. um, well, here, so I want to ask you this in terms of like how much time you spent writing, because the bio, uh, the about page on your blog site says that you're about 61,000 words in, and now you're about 70,000. So, so, so A, your bio on the website needs to be updated. But plus, <laughs> I haven't been real busy in recent weeks since the end of the semester, and my freelance work has dried up, so I've had more time to work on the novel. So I'm probably in the 71 to 72,000 word range now. I imagine to wrap it up, it'll be somewhere between 80 and 85. Okay. And you write on the computer. You're not one of those people that does. No, I, I can a, see you I, doing longhand. No, I got a quill and a, <laughs> and I dip the pen in the quill. I love it. No, no, no I got, actually have a computer. Hard to believe. I know. And it looked like it was like an Apple. Is it a Mac? It's a MacBook Pro, I think is what it's called. Wow. You're like fancy. Yeah. <laughs> How long you've been doing the blog? You've been doing it for about six or seven years now. No, it's a lot of fun. It's a 
way to vent. It's just share stories. Uh, I had a couple friends in town. They've since moved away. The, the guy said, you ought to have a – actually, no, he called me, invited me to Starbucks. I said, okay. So we go – I meet him at Starbucks with his then – he and his then fiance. And they said, you ought to have a blog. I said, okay. So uh, his fiance, Carrie, a uh, really smart woman, she – did some magic on the computer, and all of a sudden, boom, I got a blog. I said, oh, okay, thanks. I gave no thought at all to a name. I just filled out some fields, and all of a sudden, there it is. Yep. Do you have a smartphone yet? I tried to buy a smartphone once, but they said I'm not smart enough to buy a smartphone. <laughs> so you're using a flip phone still? No, I'm picturing a flip phone in Glenn's I got, a, I got a party line at the house. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got uh, I got a cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Um, uh, before we get to your third song, um, uh, do you miss being at the paper? Do you miss, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I know it was a different time. Like, yeah, well, by the time you left, you know, things have changed but, yeah. a lot. But. No, I mean, seriously, I left in 2012 with a buyout. Uh, there was probably hardly a day went by in my career at the old St. Pete Evening Independent at the News Press where I didn't feel fortunate to be doing what I was doing. Uh, I mean, there was pettiness and... I'll use the word mendacity again and stupidity and bloviating from corporate higher-ups. But I loved my job, going out, meeting people, doing stories. I was talking to a couple of fellows from NBC2 yesterday, just telling stories about the old days, like Edgar Watson, which will, you probably know that story. I don't. Edgar Watson, legendary badman, most famous murderer in Southwest Florida history, October 24th or 25th, 1910. Huh. Yeah, he is immortalized in four novels by Peter Matheson. The most okay. famous one was Killing Mr. Watson. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and I didn't know the name, but I certainly know the novel. Yeah, I've read so, that book. So, yeah, I was telling these two young guys there yesterday. Uh, they came by the Southwest Florida Historical Society. Uh, uh, you know Woody Hanson? I do. He's doing this podcast one week from right now. Oh, wow. Okay. One week from right this wow. second. You talk to Woody about Roberto Clemente and the Pittsburgh Pirates, if you want. So, anyhow, but in 2010, I used to have a planning schedule stories I want to do and I literally had story ideas going out 20 years so for many years I wanted to do a story in 2010 to mark the 100th anniversary of Edgar Watson getting shot and killed down Chokoloski as he stepped out of his one horsepower motorboat in front of the Smallwood store so Woody Hanson one of his sons gave photographer Andrew West and I a ride way back in the 10,000 Islands uh, it was a hauntingly beautiful place I don't know if you've ever been back in there I have. Okay, yeah. So we went back to, I can't remember, Lost Man's River or something. Went winding our way back there. I would never been, I'd still be lost if I wasn't with Woody and the son. So we went to where Edgar Watson had his house. There's still some, well, at that time, remnants of the house. There's a vat where he made his sugar cane or whatever syrup he made. And we went by Smallwood Store where he was shot by about 15 to 20 of his neighbors. They were uh, fed up with him, to say the least. He had an unusual business plan. I hope there aren't any business owners out there listening. His business model was when it came time to pay his employees on payday, he'd just kill them. (laughs) I mean, literally, he was in the wilderness, 10,000 islands in the early 1900s. So, you know, people were desperate. They needed jobs. Somebody said, hey, you can get a job down there working for this guy named Watson. And so the story goes, he didn't bother actually paying them. They just get another crop of workers. But, uh, yeah, he was a, it's a legendary story. Uh, I didn't prepare anything to discuss it today. But yeah, doing stories like that, 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 I love being able to dig into history. You know, and, and what I'm really starting to see and, and seeing it clearly is how, we, you know, we, how much we miss 
whether people realize it or not, having a big local paper that had people at everything. Because now yep. meetings are happening, right. nobody's there. There's a term called the news desert. Yeah. And uh, we're not there yet. Uh, you guys here at WGCU are helping. Uh, where communities don't have the, the watchdog reporters. Yeah. You know, back in the day, uh, news press, Naples Daily News, what was called the St. Pete Times, Miami Herald, Orlando Sentinel, wherever you went, Tampa Tribune, which doesn't even exist anymore, they would be covering the local city council, school board. High school football games. I was going to say, they used to go to high school football games. Oh, yeah, games. we would cover, I don't know, 15 high school games every Friday. Yeah. Yeah, I remember going out to cover the Super Bowl in San Diego when the Bucks were in it, and we were a small paper. We still sent three people for the whole week out to San Diego. Now, it's, that would never happen. Yeah. And I remember one more story. 1989, there's no spring training here. So the paper said, why don't you go to every spring training site in the state and do stories? Said, okay. So, uh, so I read a Red LeBaron convertible I've gone for 32 or 33 days just tooling around the state going to do stories at cities that had spring training then. And that was one of those days when you thought, I sure am lucky to do what yeah. I do. Yeah, with the Red LeBaron convertible paid for by the company. Oh, man. Okay. So, anyhow, it's, third, it's time for uh, song three. Yeah, this is uh, another beautiful song. And I think it's very timely. I thought about this a while back, and it's even more timely now. Uh, uh, let's go ahead and play it. If that's okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to say what it is. Everybody will know what I think. I played that yesterday at home, uh, and I teared up. I believe I teared up this now. I mean, I didn't cry, but I certainly was. All right? Yeah, I'm, it down. I'm, 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 I'm composed today, uh, maybe because I'm in the studio. But yeah, I was. It's very timely. Uh, we got this legendary African American musical genius with this hauntingly beautiful uh, rendition of this song, and, and we got all that hate out there and racism and. You know, um, in reading up on this, I didn't go that deep, but it peaked at number one in the UK instantly, and it only got to 116 in the United States. I think it took off after Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, which was, you know, 20, yeah, Yeah. yeah, many years later. I wonder if if there's, um, you know, a a racist reason for that. I don't know. I hope not. I hope Uh, not, but... I, I would like to think some songs just fly under the radar for some reason yeah but yeah i don't know how any but the first time i heard it you're just spellbound yeah yeah and uh the lyrics uh between the pandemic and the racism about friendship and and just a wonderful world um are you this going to seem like a strange aside but i'm going there um have you ever read the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i loved it did you ever listen to the bbc radio drama I'm sad to say no, but I love. I've read The Hitchhiker's Guide two or three times. Okay, Glenn, then you're going to love this. I'm going to give you, after the show, the MP3s of the radio drama. Okay. Because it was produced by the BBC with okay. a full cast. Okay. And that's how he did that before he wrote the book. Okay. So he was producing it on a week-to-week basis oh, okay. to tape, and then he wrote books based on it. Okay. And at the end, when Arthur and Ford are on Earth and they pull the tiles out of the bag... 
I read of one planet off in the seventh dimension that got used as a ball in a game of intergalactic bar billiards. Got potted straight into a black hole, killed ten billion people. Mm, total madness. Yeah, only scored thirty points too. Where did you read that? Oh, a book. Which book was that? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, that thing. So that's what they uh, end on. Okay. And bring Louis Armstrong back to Glenn Miller. In the Glenn Miller story, Louis Armstrong was in the movie playing himself. Oh, really? So uh, the real Glenn Miller, I think he was a friend of Armstrong in real life. I think he respected his genius and his talent. So there's a scene in the movie where Glenn Miller brings his wife this very white bread June Allison to a club in Harlem to listen to Louis Armstrong. She walks in June Allison. I don't know what she's like in real life, but she's like, what's going on here? It's 1950. Well, movies in 54. So this would have been set in the thirties probably. So, uh, and she's mesmerized by Armstrong and the music. And so there's that connection between two musical giants, Louis Armstrong and Glenn Miller. So, um, what, song would you come out to if you were a championship wrestler? Well, in baseball, it'd be called a walk-up song. Okay, then let's change it for you. you okay. what, what would be your walk-up song actually, when you were playing for the actually, 54 in Dodgers? My, <laughs> in my novel, I have the shuffle, there's a shuffleboard tournament with 16 players. I'm giving each of them a, a song. They could have a, their version of, shuffleboard's version of a walk-up song. Uh, that, that would, I could see that in a movie. There's a, yeah, there's like well, that. actually, in the book, uh, my one of the competitors is a Hollywood screenwriter, so my character's going to pester her about writing and making the first great shuffleboard movie. The world <laughs> is crying for a shuffleboard movie. But for my walk-up song, maybe what we just heard from Louis Armstrong. Oh. Yeah. I, you couldn't do any better than yeah. that. Um, do you do karaoke? Uh, no. I'd rather get a frontal lobotomy without anesthesia. No, I'm not going to. What about dancing? Uh, likewise. <laughs> if you can learn any instrument instantly. Piano. Piano. Yeah, I thought, I think being able to play, be, have the capability to, t- <laughs> do, to play any instrument would be cool, but for some reason, the piano just uh, mesmerizes me. What kind of music would you want to play? Oh, everything. Uh, classical to roll over Beethoven to the blues, boogie woogie, uh, to be able to play anything the chopsticks uh, would be a huge achievement um do you have a favorite band of all time uh i'll probably have to go with the beatles did you see the movie yesterday uh no that's the one where they well where the beatles don't exist yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um i did not see that one uh, should i see it yes you should okay hey uh i have a variant of one of the questions we normally ask we ask if somebody we ask musicians if they could play along with uh any band living or dead who they would join uh, i know where could, this is going yeah i bet you do if you could see live in person front row seats any baseball game like you like go back and see one what would you go see Maybe the 1951 Dodgers-Giants uh, playoff game in the Polo Grounds. What's the big moment? Uh, Bobby Thompson hit a home run off Ralph, Ralph Branca in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, the term walk-off homer wasn't around then, but it was a walk-off homer. It entered the playoffs, put the Giants in the uh, World Series. It's a famous radio call by an announcer named Russ Hodges who's going nuts, keeps yelling, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. So, uh, yeah, maybe that one. If you could, I have a variation on the variation. If you could play for with any team and be in a position and you know be able to at that level, what would that be? Like, what was your position? What would you want to be? Where, when? Center field for the Yankees. 
Uh, they have a great tradition of center fielders. Uh, which Yankees? Like which, which what year? year? That's an yeah. excellent question. Uh, I'm going to go either 1927, which some people consider the greatest team ever with Babe Ruth, Lou, Lou Gehrig. But 61, when I was just a little kid, they had Mantle and Maris and Whitey Ford and Elson Howard and Yogi Berra. Uh, that would be very cool. Did you dream of being a, bi- a big league player? Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. I think a lot of kids did. Yeah. I did. I played yeah. baseball all the way up until I got to high school, yeah. and then I was better at golf, so yeah. I moved in that direction. I wasn't better at anything. <laughs> <laughs> Writing. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, what would 14-year-old Glenn Miller think of you here today in the world? What a crazy old coot. What a crazy old coot. Yeah. Uh, would he be surprised that you've spent a career, you know, using words and observations, you know? I, I think so. Uh, you know, like, I can remember eighth or ninth grade doing a book report, The History of Baseball. And so eighth or ninth grade, didn't have, we didn't have typewriters. So it was like 60 pages. <laughs> the teacher probably gave up her te- his or her teaching career. I mean, I got an A on it, but 60 pages on the history of baseball. I had this long bibliography. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's probably not a surprise I ended up doing what I did. They got like two pages in and we're like, that's A. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's it, enough. I opened the folders. Holy cow. No. Um, okay, uh, we're pretty much at the end here. Uh, we want you to recommend three people who you will share this with that you think we should try to get in the chair. Kathy Gray. Do you know Kathy? I think I do. I don't. Who? Managing editor of Bellum Magazine. She's uh, brilliant. I don't think I know she, her. She's a singer. She had a lovely voice. Uh, Kathy Gray would be good. Have you had Bill Taylor from the Alliance? No, but he's been on my mind for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, Bill Taylor. I yeah. don't know if he'll do it or not. He seems like he, he'd be on the fence as far as a yes, but I'll try. His wife, too, Lauren. Yeah, I can get him in here together. We could do that like, would be the, awesome. Like we yeah, did they're, with they're, Amy they're, and Roger. Yeah, they, they were, I think they'd be wonderful. Uh, there's an attorney in town named Stephen Hooper, retired attorney, but he's an actor, director, a uh, very smart guy. He's also from St. Pete, so clearly he's got to be... Brilliant. He, uh, I, I don't really know him, but I, I'm Facebook friends with him because right. he did some stuff with Bill at the Alliance right. while I was at the Alliance. So yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Um, any songs that you avoid listening to for some reason? Hmm. Yeah, there's a few. You know, when I'm on 94.5, just uh, even by an artist, I'm blanking on the titles, but I hear them come on. I say I can't take it. Uh, can because I, of like the theme of them or, or like the, the, the memory sound. or just they've heard it too many times? Uh, just something grating about the melody or lack of a melody or stupid lyrics. Uh, yeah, there are some, a handful. But like I was in, exchanged a few uh, Facebook messages of somebody telling them I was going to do this. I said, how do you pick three songs? And I'm from genres, I mean, I love different types of music. I like everybody. I couldn't just... Pick three. How do you pick three songs? So I'm sure you've heard this. Uh, uh, we have. I yeah. feel at this point though, we could just play three random songs and we'll still get to know the person because okay. all we're doing is having fun talking. Okay. And there's songs in between it. <laughs> right. Well, thank you, Glenn, so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. One, two, one, two, three, four. 
We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and sometimes hosts. Christoph is his executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio up in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, I'm sticking with the baseball theme with a song called 42 from one of my favorite musicians, Dan Burns, all baseball songs album called Double Header. He released it in 2012. It's got tracks on it with names like The Golden Voice of Vin Scully, Gambling With My Love, Pete Rose, and the year-by-year home run totals of Barry Bonds, which is literally that. The lyrics are just how many home runs Barry Bonds hit during each year of his career. Dan is a super prolific songwriter who has more than a thousand songs to his name. I've seen him live three times and really, really hope to get him on this show someday. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. And I said to, to Ava, I'm worn out. You know, it's like, I'm, it's time to get rid of this stuff. <laughs> and she looked me right in the eye and she goes, you, you know, you're not getting rid of anything. You're grandfather is finishing his life's journey through you. Yeah.